This is Perpetrator, episode number five, The Lost Girl of Alphabet City. It's 1997, and I'm sitting at my desk in the 9th Precinct Detective Squad, where I am assigned on a temporary basis, or on a steal, as it is called in NYPD cop lingo. One of the detectives I was working with, Petey Salerno, says to me, Hey, Scotty, patrol has some prisoners downstairs if you wanted to brief them. Lieutenant Monahan had given me the assignment of debriefing any prisoners that were arrested by the 9th Precinct, in the hope that they would have information in regards to the drug wars that had been picking up amongst the gangs selling drugs in the Lower East Side in the past year or two. We have had a big increase in stabbing, shootings, and homicides recently. I would also ask questions to the arrestees about any other types of crimes, such as burglaries, robberies. The smallest bit of information could assist in closing a case and helping us arrest the perpetrator. Any violent perps we could arrest and take off the streets means that there would be less victims, and that's the ultimate goal. I enter the arrest processing room. And after speaking to the arresting officers, I see they have a teenage female in custody, and she has just finished being fingerprinted. They tell me she was dealing drugs, and I ask her to accompany me to the interview room. She responds, sure, and has a really pleasant smile on her face. She's a cute kid, and I was surprised because most of the prisoners aren't that happy to speak to a detective, and it usually takes me a while to win them over, if I do at all. So what's your name, I ask. She responds, Evelyn. Okay, Evelyn, my name is Scott. I'm going to ask you some questions about some violent crimes that have been happening in the neighborhood recently. Evelyn responds, okay, you got it. And again, she has a smile on her face. Do you know anything about any murders that have happened recently? Yeah, I do. Okay, great, what do you know? I was sitting on a bench on 10th Street in a circle when I heard these two guys talking about how they had killed another guy on Avenue D. I asked her, what were their names? She then tells me all the nicknames of the perpetrators and the victim. I know exactly who she is talking about. This is a homicide that the 9th Squad has been working on along with the Manhattan District Attorney's Homicide Investigation Unit and Manhattan South Narcotics. I tell Evelyn, thanks Evelyn. This is great information. It confirms what we have been hearing. I will call the DA on that case and let them know. With that, she suddenly becomes sad looking and loses the smile. I say, hey, are you getting nervous? Don't worry, we won't tell anyone that you told me this. Maybe down the line we may need you to testify, but that will be your choice. Evelyn says, no, I'm just thinking about my baby. I'm fucked up and they took my baby away. I don't want to keep fucking up anymore. Then she starts crying. I say, hey Evelyn, you have to get off the streets, then you can get your baby back. Who has your child, your parents? No, my parents aren't around. Child welfare took her. I say, okay, well if you can get out of jail, stay off the streets and try not to get into trouble. If you need help with anything, come to the precinct and ask for me. I will call the DA about your case now. Maybe we can figure out a way to help you since you don't have such a bad record. Just stay off the streets if you get out. She said, thanks Scott, I will. And you can call me Eva. A few weeks later, I'm called into Lieutenant Monahan's office. 
has some bad news for me. Scotty, sorry to tell you the chief has made a decision that there are no more temporary assignments for police officers allowed in the detective squads. Only detectives would be allowed or police officers on official assignment in the robbery units. He then calls Deputy Commissioner Eddie Norris with me sitting there and says, Eddie, can I keep Scotty Prendergast? We are working on a lot of big cases with the DA's office and he's right in the middle of everything. I had been assisting in the investigation of several drug gangs that had been involved in a lot of violence in Alphabet City for the past couple of years. We had been working as an unofficial task force with the Manhattan District Attorney's Office Homicide Investigation Unit, also known as HIU, and the Manhattan South Narcotics District. The DA's unit was comprised of experienced assistant DAs like Deborah Hickey and Deneen Riviezo, and was headed by Walter Arsenault. They were definitely some of the sharpest prosecutors I ever worked with. They also had a group of experienced and talented investigators and analysts. The investigators were headed by Terry Quinn and Steve Michard, two serious old-time detectives that knew their stuff better than anyone. The NYPD narco unit was also staffed with an experienced team. Mike Capriello was the sergeant, Eddie Ravain, Mark Reagan, Richie Narciso, Hector Munez, and Al Smith were the investigators. There were also some very good undercover detectives working with this team. These two groups, along with the 9th Precinct Detective Squad, was probably the violent drug gang's worst nightmare. Some of the best law enforcement people I've ever worked with. So anyway, Deputy Commissioner Eddie Norris replies, Sorry, Artie, nothing I can do. The chief's mind is made up. So that was it. I would have to go back to my plainclothes anti-crime team if I was lucky. Go back downstairs as it's referred to in the precinct. The detective squad was usually on the second floor of a precinct. So downstairs meant back to uniform patrol or in my case, plainclothes patrol. A few days later, Artie Monahan calls me in again to his office. Scotty, I made a deal with the captain in narcotics. You're going to go to narcotics and be in Sergeant Capriello's team. And we will still be working all the cases with the DA's office. I wasn't that happy, but I figured as long as I could keep working on these homicides and violent drug gangs, that it might work out okay. Lieutenant Monahan then says, as soon as you get promoted to detective, I'll get you transferred right back here. Within a few weeks, I'm at Narcotics Division training at the police academy, and a narco lieutenant calls me out of the classroom and says, you have a call from Lieutenant Monaghan. I'm hoping I've been saved and been transferred back to the detective bureau. I pick up the phone and say, hey, Lou, what's up? Scotty, remember that young girl you had that was a witness for that murder on Avenue D in the circle? Yes, Evelyn. What happened? Did she get locked up again? Scott. I need you to come down to the squad, forthwith. Warning, this part contains descriptions of acts of violence that some listeners may find disturbing. A few days earlier, the day before Thanksgiving, on Avenue D in the Lower East Side, three young men approach a woman and demand to know where Eva is. She tells them she doesn't know. They all go up to her apartment on the corner of East 6th Street and Avenue D. Again, they demand to know where Eva is. She owes them money. 
they pull a gun and point it at the woman's daughter and tell the woman, you go find her right now and bring her up here. The woman, fearing for her daughter's and her own life, leaves the apartment and eventually finds Eva somewhere on Avenue D. She invites her up to the apartment and eventually they make it to the roof where the three men tell Eva that she owes them money. Eva replies that she will get it for them and the men are not happy. One or more of the men then tell Eva that if she doesn't have the money, then she should take care of them sexually. Eva refuses and tries to leave. The men grab Evelyn and start trying to pull her pants down. Evelyn is a street kid from the Lower East Side. She's not going to let them rape her. She's fighting them as hard as she can. There is no one there to help her. They are beating her bad. And then the tall guy, the younger one, and the average-sized guy drag her to the edge of the roof, where one of them says, fuck it, and then grabs her legs and flips her off the roof of the 11-story building. Thanksgiving Day, a maintenance worker finds Evelyn's body on the first floor of the boys' club, adjacent to 60 Avenue D. Detective Sammy Miller of the Ninth Squad is assigned to the case. Lieutenant Artie Monahan and Sergeant Jimmy Duke are supervising the investigation. The most common type of situation like this would be investigated as a possible suicide. But as the investigation continued, it was no suicide. It would turn out to be one of the most horrible murders we had investigated in a long time. Some of the autopsy results showed some interesting facts. Evelyn had fresh knife marks on her wrists, but the medical examiner said the cuts appeared to be inflicted by another person, not the victim. Did the perpetrators knock her unconscious before they threw her off the roof and then wanted to make it look like she had also slit her wrists? And the other fact that I still remember to this day, Evelyn had small pebbles wedged inside her fingernails, the type of pebbles that are on the roofs of the housing projects down in the Lower East Side. Evelyn must have been dragged across the roof as they were beating her, and most likely while they were dragging her to the edge, she was digging her nails into the floor of the roof as they dragged her. The terror that she must have been feeling as these three evil young men were attacking her, and as she was falling 11 stories, I can only imagine. As Sam Miller and the rest of the Ninth Squad were investigating and trying to find out who had done this horrible murder, I was now part of the Manhattan South Narcotics District. We covered the 9th Precinct, and we immediately stepped up our investigations into the drug gangs in the area, along with the team from HIU. There were many rumors on Avenue D about who made responsible for Eva's murder. We started using informants and undercover detectives to buy heroin and cocaine from the gangs that controlled the drug trade in that part of the neighborhood. Hopefully we would get some of the perpetrators involved in the murder, or at least some criminals who knew of the murder would be willing to cooperate. One particular drug dealer from the area that was rumored to have some knowledge of the murder was ID'd, and we brought in a young female undercover to try and buy drugs from him. She looked like a teenager and had braces. On the first day she approached this drug dealer, some other young women in the area who knew him tried to dissuade the undercover from getting involved with him. They probably thought she was 14 years old. She told them that she wasn't new to the game and she could handle it. She wound up buying heroin from this dealer multiple times, and on one occasion, when a lieutenant thought it was too dangerous, she got angry and said to the boss, Would you say that if I was a guy? 
I'm a cop and it's my job. Let me do it. The lieutenant was taken aback and agreed to let the undercover continue the buy. She was a tough young cop. I was very impressed. You shouldn't judge a book by its cover. I'm sure the drug dealer realized that while he was in prison for selling her large amounts of heroin. As the weeks went by, the narcotics team and HIU had been engaging in multiple narcotics investigations. The Ninth Squad had been debriefing every prisoner that came through the precinct. On December 17, 1997, a 16-year-old was arrested by the housing police on some narcotics-related charge. He was also possibly violating some type of criminal probation at the time. Senior detectives Izzy Pagan and Jose Santiago from the Ninth Squad sat him down and started asking about Eva's murder. The 16-year-old started talking immediately, saying that he was a witness and was not involved. Sam Miller was brought in, and after some intensive interviewing, the 16-year-old admitted that two of his friends, along with himself, had gone looking for Eva because she owed them money. During the questioning, the 16-year-old told Sam Miller about the woman who brought Ever up to the apartment for them, and of course he tried to downplay his role in the crime. The Ninth Squad spoke at length to the female witness, and she described to them, and eventually to the assistant DAs from HIU, how the three young men threatened her and her daughter, and had her bring Eva to the roof so they could talk to her about the money she owed them. The next day, the tall one was brought in for questioning by Sam Miller. He denied any involvement in Eva's death. Even though I was assigned to the narcotics division at the time, Sam Miller called me and asked me to stop by the squad. After I arrived, Sam says to me, Hey, remember that guy you helped me arrest last year for grabbing a girl's breasts in the elevator on Avenue D? Oh yeah, what was his name again? I remember a tall guy. Yes, well, he's in the interview room, and he isn't budging. Keeps denying he had anything to do with Evelyn's death. We have two witnesses saying he's the main one who threw her off the roof. Can you go inside and try and speak to him? Maybe you can get him talking. Sure, Sam, I'll talk to him. I feel myself getting nervous and a little angry at the same time. This is the guy who threw a young girl off a roof, a girl that I had met personally and had hoped she would get her life together. As I open the door to the interview room, the lights are off in the room. It's pitch black. I flip on the lights and brace for the suspect to try and attack me or something. But there he is, lying on the interview table with his eyes closed. Is this guy serious? We had a saying in the detective bureau, innocent men don't sleep in the cell. And sleeping in an interview room, that's a sign right there, guilty as sin. I say pretty loud, hey, wake up. He moves and sits in the chair and starts claiming that he didn't do anything. I said, you were there. Just tell me your version and we can work from there. I've never been in that building in my life, he shouts. I lose my cool a little and say, bullshit. You live across the street from that building. We arrested you last year for groping a young girl's breast in that building or the building next to it. Just stop lying and tell me the truth. He just keeps saying and fake crying with no tears that he had nothing to do with it. This goes on and on and on. Finally, I leave the interview room and tell Sam about him sleeping and how the lights were off. Sammy thanks me for trying and continues to process the arrest. Later on that day, Sam and other members from the Ninth Squad arrest the third average-sized guy on Avenue D and 10th Street, 
he has nothing to say also. After Sam confers with the assistant DAs from HIU, all three are arrested and charged with murder, kidnapping, attempted rape, and criminal possession of a weapon. Later on that day, one of the detectives from the Ninth Squad notices that the bars on the window in the interview room have been bent back. Somebody had been trying to escape out that window. Unfortunately, nobody could say for sure if it was the tall guy or maybe a previous prisoner from another day and nobody had noticed. My bet is on the tall guy. He was trying to get out of there. Again, innocent people don't usually try to escape. Eventually, my good friend, Assistant District Attorney Deneen Riviezo, now Judge Riviezo, prosecutes the three at trial for the murder, kidnapping, and attempted rape of Evelyn. They were also charged with conspiracy in the first degree for being part of a violent drug gang that also used children to distribute heroin and cocaine in the Lower East Side area. After an intensive investigation, over 20 associates of these three murderers were arrested and charged with being part of the same narcotics organization. In addition, the third average-sized guy who threw Eva off the roof was charged with multiple counts of selling the drug gang's heroin to undercover officers from the Manhattan South Narcotics Unit and HIU. After it was all over and he was sentenced to prison, all my partners and friends from the Ninth Squad, the Narcotics Unit, and HIU felt good about this case. We had not only nailed the three guys who threw Eva off a roof of a housing project, we had also dismantled and sent to prison their whole drug organization. Maybe going forward, these violent criminals will think twice about taking somebody's life, especially since the whole gang or organization can go down hard for their actions. Epilogue. While doing research for this case, all three murderers have been released from prison. Eva is still gone, never had a chance to get her daughter back, never had a chance to watch her daughter grow up and have a better life than she did. I recently saw on the internet that some charity has been using the tall murderer as a public speaker. Some shtick about how he was only 19 when he went to prison and how he earned degrees in prison. Now released from prison, he works for the charity and is married with kids. Never once during his speech for the charity on YouTube or during the description about him by the head of the charity on how well he has done recently is it mentioned why he went to prison. While Eva can't give any speeches, she can't get married or have more kids, and she can't work for some charity, she's gone, all because of these three violent perpetrators. I don't feel as good about the outcome of this case anymore. I wonder how the tall guy or the head of this charity would feel if one of their children would have been the victim of such a horrible crime like Eva was. Would they give those perpetrators a job and clap for all their accomplishments? I think we all know the answer to that question. This has been Perpetrator, episode number five, The Lost Girl of Alphabet City. <laughs>